Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. I've spent the past two weeks talking to you guys about a particular theme that I just have felt very strongly on my heart for for you as a group. I've not been preaching this message in our local fellowship. It's it's not something I've done before because I really just felt that God was speaking very powerfully and poignantly to to this ministry, wherever it is that we are and however it is that we meet and with whoever it is that we meet. I know that Pastor Andreas spent some time a little while before before he left speaking about identity and I picked up from that and I spoke about purpose through identity that as we discover our identity in Jesus Christ our identity in Him locks us into or aligns us with the plans and the purposes that He has for us. It helps us to discover our giftings and gives us the faith and the boldness that we need to step out and to use those giftings. Um, then last week I spoke to you about the greater one within. We spoke about the Ark of the Covenant and where David tried to bring it back. Uh, because the, and, 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 and something happened along the way. They put it on a cart which they shouldn't have done. And the oxen stumbled and Uzzah put out his hand to stop and catch the, the Ark of the Covenant. And, got, and he, he fell down dead because the presence of God was so strong there. And they left the Ark of the Covenant at Obed-Edom's house. And what they noticed was, as, as, the, as the Ark of the Covenant came closer to where it was meant to be, we saw that the presence and manifest presence of God became stronger. But we saw that during the time, and it was about three months that they left the Ark of the Covenant at Obed-Edom's house, the house was tangibly blessed. People could see the household and the, the, the blessing of God was evident. And we spoke about how where the presence of God is, the blessing of God is. Where God's presence rocks up, two things happen. Number one, He brings things into order. He, 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 he corrects us when we are wrong. You know when you're in a time of worship or the presence of God is thick, where you're just even in your quiet time and God's presence is there. There's often a sense of conviction that comes, but with that conviction comes the sweetness of His mercy and His forgiveness as we repent. And it's in that, that, that process of coming into the presence of God where He begins to set things right, our heart attitudes right, our thinking right, our, our behavior even right. And in that process, blessing flows. Every time we come to God in repentance, every time we step into His presence, His blessing is there waiting and ready to meet us, to lift us up, to empower us, to, to encourage us, to strengthen us. And so we spoke about how you and I are mobile arcs of the covenant. There is a greater one who lives within us. As much as God's presence in the old covenant was confined to the ark, was confined to the holy of holies in the temple system, today you and I are the temples of God. 
And wherever it is that we go, we carry that presence with us. And I think for us, so much of the of, of going about life, just the day-to-day routine, we lose sight or we lose track of the reality that there is a greater one who lives within us. The presence of God is with us wherever we go. He promises He will never leave us. He promises He will never forsake us. He promises He will be our shield and our strength, our defense. He promises that by Him we are, He, he has already overcome and that His presence with us gives us a sense of authority, gives us a sense of strength as we go out into the world and as we live our daily lives. Beyond that, above that, we also, with, his, with an understanding of His presence with us and in us, open ourselves up to the leading of the Holy Spirit wherever it is that we, we go. Understanding that we are His ambassadors. That we are he, the representatives of the Kingdom of God here on earth. He has filled us with His Spirit. Not just so that we can be born again. Not just so that we can be born from above and have eternal life residing in us but so that we can be His representatives and cause that eternal life to shine and to flow out from us to demonstrate to the world what our God is like. That is both an awesome responsibility as well as an incredible privilege that the God who created you and me, the God who created all things, He dwells in us. He is with us and He has commissioned us to be His spokesmen and women, to be His representatives here on earth. Tonight I want to talk to you, I know that next week Pastor Andreas is going to be ministering once again, so I want to round off this this series, if I can call it that, speaking about our identity, speaking about the greater one within, and this week I want to talk to you about being filled to overflowing. So that presence of God that we know is with us remains not just within us as this comforting sense, but begins to overflow and begins to work through us so that it can affect those around us. I'd like to ask you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. If you have them, please turn there now. Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to read a prayer that the Apostle Paul prays for the church. Ephesians chapter 3 from verse 14. And he says this, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's just read up to there for now. I want to go through that again and point out certain things as we as we read through the scripture. Paul prays and he says from verse 16 that God would grant you according to the riches of His glory. Now there's a starting point. 
Paul doesn't begin with our understanding of riches or our understanding of glory. Our limited perception of the greatness of God. Paul prays that God would answer this prayer, not even according to the level of his faith, but according to the level of the riches of his glory. So he is praying for an immense revelation to take place. He says that you would be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Folks, what do you and I need might for? We need might, we need strength for two things. Number one, to resist, to defend, but also to be assertive, to be on the front foot, to push back, to enforce, to take ground. He says that we will be filled with strength and strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Let's pause for a moment. We've been speaking about the greater one within. Paul writes to the Galatians and he says, my, my, my beloved ones who I labor and travail in birth pains again until Christ is formed in you. What Paul is really trying to communicate here is that the greatness of the stature and the life of Jesus Christ that he demonstrated when he walked this earth. That is the greatness of the power and the, 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 the experience that you and I ought to have as believers. Christ came to give us everything that He won for us. Everything that He is. Nothing less. The travesty is we settle for so much less. We are satisfied with so much less. But Paul is praying here that we would not be satisfied with that. That there would be something in us that presses on for, the, for something greater. And what is the secret to that greater? He goes on to say, Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend. What does the word comprehend mean? It means to fully understand, not just intellectually, but experientially. That you may be able to see for yourself, experience for yourself, what is the height and the width and the length and the depth to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You see, Paul is not praying for a limited thing here. He's praying for an unlimited thing, a measureless thing, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. How much is that? What measure is that? Well, we can't really measure it. It is beyond any measurement that we can put on. But it is clearly something that is above and beyond ourselves. It is clearly not a natural revelation. This is not a natural experience that Paul is praying for. But he is praying for a supernatural experience. He's praying for an experience in the Holy Spirit. It's very interesting. How many of you have heard the name Andrew Murray? Andrew Murray, believe it or not, was a Dutch Reformed minister at the turn of the, of the 19th century, late 1800s, early 1900s. He wrote some books that are, are world famous today, one of which is The State of the Church, and I'll read you two excerpts from that today. But he also wrote books, The Fullness of Christ. And one of his passions and, and one of his, his greatest sorrows was that the Church of Jesus Christ has, has become so comfortable and we've settled for so much less than what Jesus Christ came to give us. 
we have become comfortable and apathetic and, and satisfied with worldly substitutes rather than pressing on for the fullness of the life of Christ, the fullness of the power of the Spirit, that we do not do our works, our evangelism, our daily jobs by the, by the power of the flesh, working in the, our own strength to do things to try and glorify God, but instead that we have learned how to press into and receive a greater measure of the power of God and learn to cooperate with the Holy Spirit that His power can flow through us. It's also very important that we understand that the, the primary place Paul acquainted this to was a revelation of love. First and foremost, a revelation of God's love for you. Do you do, sometimes we don't appreciate how much God loves us, how much He has forgiven us of, how much He has made available and to us. And Paul says that revelation alone will change who we are. But then also his love, once it is birthed in our heart for others, compels us, draws us. I won't say drives us because God doesn't drive us. But there's something in us when we begin to receive and, be, and understand a measure of the love of Jesus Christ. That we are moved with the same compassion that he was moved with. We reach a place where we are no longer satisfied or comfortable just to focus on our own well-being. But something within us draws us to go and share this love with our brethren and share this love with those who do not know Him. To bring them to repentance, to bring them to the truth. Andrew Murray in the book, The State of the Church, says this, The love with which Christ loves us is a love that takes in the whole world. We cannot take just enough of that love to suit ourselves and be indifferent to the needs of others. That is the selflessness, sorry, that is the selfishness which results in the weak and unhappy life which so many Christians live. It is essential if we truly wish to possess Christ and to fully enjoy him that we take his love in all of its fullness. And we commit ourselves to sharing that love and find our happiness in making that love known to those who are still ignorant of it. So God is, what, what Paul is saying here is, my prayer for you believers. And I want to say my prayer for you as, as a fellowship of believers scattered throughout the world is that God would give to you a revelation of the greatness of his love for you. So great a revelation that you would be completely transformed. That you would no longer see yourself as just the object of that love. But that you would see yourself as the conduit of that love. That I believe is the primary message that God is wanting to communicate to you at this time and in this season. That you will be filled not just to satisfaction. But filled to overflowing. Because that is our God. Our God is El Shaddai. Do you know what, the God, what El Shaddai means? It means the God of more than enough. If you take it back to its, its, its original roots, it means it, it, it brings with it the analogy of a mother suckling a baby. And El Shaddai is called the full-breasted one. The one for whom there is more than enough provision. That baby is never going hungry. And this is the God that we serve. 
Our God has never just come to meet our needs. But has come to bless us to the point that we can be a blessing to others. And the greater, I want to say this to you, the greater our focus is on that, the greater the measure of power and of blessing we open ourselves up to receive. You see, if, we, if, if our satisfaction is, is all that we're concerned about, our faith will be satisfied with us having our own need, needs met. And then that's all of God we will experience. Bless me, I'm taken care of, hallelujah, praise God. But the measure of fullness, the measure of power and grace, the measure of blessing, uh, the measure of influence we will have is very small, very limited, and we will live our lives in largely a carnal state. Jesus came to give us so much more than that. Because His plan was not just for our blessing, but for the blessing of the world. His plan was not to just to restore you and I to, to intimacy with God, but to restore all things to the Creator of all things. That means you and I have work to do. We have an assignment. Praise God. And the wonderful thing is God doesn't just send us out, but He goes with us. Turn in your Bibles with me, if you would, to John chapter 7. Here we have Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting to hear the words that He uses. John chapter 7. From verse 37 to verse 39. And it says this. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. I want you to pause for something because there is something significant about the timing of this statement. The Bible tells us when Jesus said this. He said this on the last day, the great day of the feast. How many people do you think were, were, were thirsty or hungry on that day? I'll tell you something. Those Jews knew how to eat. They knew how to celebrate. They knew It wasn't called the dinner. It was called the feast. There was more than enough of everything. And yet it's in the setting of abundance, in the setting of each person having their needs met, the setting of community and sharing of, of blessing, that Jesus stands up and says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. It seems like a contradiction. It doesn't seem to make sense. Surely Jesus should rather say that after a time of fasting. But no, Jesus comes when people are full full of what this world has to offer. Their appetites have been satisfied. They're not longing for anything else carnal. And what is he speaking about? He's not speaking about physical water here. He's speaking about a spiritual dimension here. He says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, who those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given. What is the prerequisite here to receive in a greater measure of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? I'm not talking. I'm, I'm talking to believers here. I'm talking to new covenant people who know God and who are who 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 have fellowship with Him, who receive the indwelling presence of God. What I'm talking to you about is a greater measure of the infilling of the Holy Spirit, a greater measure of receptivity to His leading and a greater openness and a yieldedness to be used of and by Him. And so the first thing Jesus says here, there's a prerequisite. He says, if 
anyone thirsts. What is the prerequisite to being filled with more of God? It is our desire. It is that simple. You have as much of God as what you want. Period. You may think, oh, I want more of God than I actually have right now. But the inconvenient truth is this. You have as much of God as you actually want. You see, when we judge other people, we judge them by their behavior. When we judge ourselves, we judge ourselves by our intentions. Most of us as believers have a good intention. We want more of God. And we judge ourselves by that intention. But very often, our behavior and our acts and our attitude undermine that very intention. I want more of God, but I'm not prepared to get up early to spend time with Him. I want to know Jesus and His love, but I'm not prepared to put in the time to read His Word, to spend time in prayer, to fast, to worship, to repent. And, I, and the list goes on. So the question I have for you today, folks, after all I've said to you the last couple of weeks, are you hungry for more? Do you really want to be an instrument in the hand of God? Do you really want to see God move through you in power? Do you really want to be able to love somebody deeply and truly with the love of Jesus Christ? Do you really want to be moved with compassion? Now I'm appealing to your intention. The question that has to follow that up is, do your actions follow your intention? And if not, are you prepared to make the changes that are necessary? Folks, this is tough stuff. I realize that I'm confronting you tonight. But this is Gospel 101. He who desires to come after me, the Bible, Jesus said, let him deny himself. Let him not seek his own interests. Let him take up his cross. In other words, be willing to, to, to face, come what may, and follow me. Jesus here in this, in this portion of scripture says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. I want to say this to you folks. It doesn't say let him come to the pastor. It doesn't say let him come to church. It says let him come to me. I'm not knocking the role of fellowship. I'm not knocking the role of pastors. They're important. We need them. Praise God for them. They help us. They equip us. They lead us on the way. But there are some things that you and I can only receive directly from the heart of God. I, want to, I have seen it so many times. You, I can tell somebody something. I can give them the counsel of the Lord according to the word of God. And it will go in one ear and out the other. But if I send them away on a fast... And they hear from God. Man, they come back with revelation and they're going to tell me everything I've just told them as if I haven't told them a thing. Why? Because the words of man don't carry power. But the presence of God does. The words of God spoken straight to your heart do. They have the power to shift us. They have the power to change us completely. That is the wonderful gift of repentance that God gives us. The word repent means I am pursuing this. I am focusing my life or orientating my attention in this way. Repentance means I now turn from that and I begin to pursue something else. I turn my attention towards God, towards the things of his kingdom. 
Now, I can't do that while still pursuing this. I have to lay that down and say that that is not as important to me as this is, so that I can turn my heart, my affection towards the Lord. Folks, I understand we have jobs, we have families, we have things and cares that that every one of us has to are responsible for. We can't just drop those things and become monks and go live up in the hills and pray all day. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I am talking about is the affections of our hearts. Do the affection of our hearts draw us deeper into practical quest for more of God, reading of His Word, time in His presence? Or do the desires of our heart lead us to the couch and more TV? It's a sobering question. Amen? Coming back to that scripture. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. Let him drink. Come and drink deeply of the Lord. Drink deeply of the presence of God. And the Bible says, He who believes out of his heart will flow. So what is the catalyst? If I'm not experiencing the power of God working in and through me, what is my challenge? My challenge is unbelief. I need, to, I need to spend more time studying, meditating the Word of God and allowing it to transform my heart. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So if I've got a problem with unbelief, what is the cure? I've got to get into the Word of God. I need to study. I need to do whatever it takes to strengthen my faith. Amen? And then he said this, Out of his heart will flow rivers. It doesn't say streams, but rivers. And it doesn't say river. It says rivers. We have a picture here of one who is able to press in and, and receive a greater measure of the Holy Spirit through his own desire, through his own seeking of God, that God honors that and acknowledges that by blessing that one with rivers of living water that he cannot contain, that are not just for his blessing, but that flow out of him and become a blessing to those around him. People around him start getting convicted. People around him start getting healed. People around him start wondering and asking questions. You know, you've heard how many testimonies of somebody who walks into a room and, and just the atmosphere in that room changes. Anybody, any of you who have been around Pastor Andreas long enough knows that that happens. When he walks into the room, the atmosphere changes. The conversation changes. Why? Because he carries something in him. Amen? God wants us to become the conduits for that river of his presence. Again, quoting Andrew Murray, he says, the measure of our prayer is the measure of our power. Every deeper insight into what Christianity is and into what our daily life ought to be and into what the ministry is and needs will all lead us to the one deep conviction. Christianity is nothing unless it is supernatural. Our Christian life and work must fail unless we live deeply rooted in the power of God's inspired word in the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit and the importunate prayer to which the promise of the Father will, will most surely be given. Folks, the concept of the fullness of God is something that is both beautiful 
as something that is worth pursuing. It is something that is beautiful and it is something that is worth pursuing. Your hunger for anything is determined by your pursuit. Peter, maybe I should ask you to tell your testimony and your story of when you first met Emma and what started going on in your heart and how that led to emotions and conversations and prayer because something in you was birthed that you considered worth pursuing. Amen? And praise God, you got the pursuit of your heart. But I want to tell you this. Folks, God, the presence of God, the fullness of Jesus Christ, it's not something I need to sell to you. Surely I don't need to sit here and tell believers that He is worth pursuing. Surely the church of God hasn't gotten to that point where ministers need to stand up and say, the God you profess to serve is worth pursuing. But yet for many of us, that is the state of the church. That is the state of our hearts. Our hearts are so satisfied with the things of this world that we pursue them instead of the king. You know, you youngsters, I see you there sitting in Somerset West and, and in Zimbabwe as well. What is it that you are pursuing? Do you consider... Grace, you too. I haven't left you out. Surely, somebody shouldn't need to tell you that God is good and that He is worth pursuing with all your heart and with all your life. That nothing else in this world will satisfy you like Him. That there is no substitute that comes close. I want to paint a picture for you of Israel's journey out of the wilderness and into the promised land. And I want to contrast that with your and my state as new believers. You know, when you look at the story of, of the Exodus, and you look at Israel coming out of Egypt, God supernaturally signs and wonders and miracles and prophecies. He brings them out of their, their captivity. He brings them out of their oppression, out of their slavery, and into a state of freedom. That is exactly what God did and what Jesus did for you and me when we became born again. He took us out of slavery, out of that which oppressed us, and brought us into a state of freedom. Freedom, by the way, we have a warped idea of what freedom is. Our idea of freedom is, la la la, I can do what I want, I have no responsibilities. That's hogwash, that's not freedom. Freedom means I have, I have the ability to choose. And I have the ability through my choice, to determine the outcome. That's freedom. Freedom equals responsibility. That's what freedom really means. You are free to choose your path in life. We see that the people of Israel came, once they came out of Egypt, they had to go through the, the Dead Sea, or the Red Sea, God's mighty deliverance, His mercy and His compassion. And that is what happens to us. We come through through the waters of baptism into saving faith. But then we see a season and a period in the, in the nation and in this time of the Exodus when they were in the wilderness. They were delivered, but they were not yet at their destination. They had a measure of the presence of God, but nothing, nothing like the fullness. They had divine provision. God looked after them, but they wandered around for 40 years in unbelief. Folks, this is the state of many Christians out there today. Fully saved by Jesus Christ. Citizens of the kingdom of God. Filled with the spirit of God. 
serving God to the best of their abilities, but not yet experiencing anything like the fullness that God came to give them. They still wander around having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Still wandering around looking like the world, thinking like the world, acting like the world, and therefore having the same results as the world. Never pressing on to a place of victory and strength in the Lord. Never seeing the, the, everything that Jesus came to purchase in terms of His deliverance and His grace realized in their lives. After that period of time, it came, the time came for them to cross the Jordan River. And again we see God's mighty empowerment. Again we see people believing God again and trusting Him and crossing over the Jordan. And this speaks of entering into the promises of God through faith. It speaks of alignment. It speaks of a vision and, and, and moving and pursuing into something. It speaks of divine empowerment. But there still had to be work. There was still work to be done because they still had to possess the land. And this is the Canaan season. Possession of the land. Pastor Andreas, I know recently ministered to you guys that there's a difference between a promise and the possession. Many of us sit with the promise and we take comfort in the promise, but we haven't got what it takes to press on to realize that promise and take possession of the fullness of God, of that promise, where there is victory, realized victory over the opposition. You know, when John writes in his letter, I think it's 1 John, I don't want to misquote it, but I'm pretty sure it's the letter of 1 John. He speaks about three classes of people. He speaks about babies. Those who have been saved. He says, give thanks to God because you are saved and your sins have been washed away. He speaks about young men. Your names are... And he says, that the hallmark of the young man is that they have overcome the wicked one. They have taken the grace and what Jesus came to give them and they've applied it to their lives and they've brought themselves to a place of experiential victory over their flesh over the lust of their flesh, over their carnality, and over the power of the enemy. And finally, he speaks to fathers, and he, he talks to them about raising up other sons, and imparting that which, which they have received. The point is this, folks. There is so much more available for you and I. There is so much more that God wants to bring you into. What I've been speaking into your heart over the past two weeks is to remind you of just how valuable and how precious you are in the eyes of God. To remind you of the greatness of that which resides and abides in you. You are not just some mamby-pamby person. You are not some nobody. You are a powerful instrument in the hand of God if you will allow Him to use you. If you will press into His presence and hear what is on His heart for you. And I want to say again, this doesn't matter how old or how young you are. Turn in your Bibles for me, for me, if you would, please, to the book of Jeremiah. And I want to just round out this point with the scripture. Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2, we're going to start at verse 12 and read verses 12 and 13. It says, Be astonished, O heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid, 
Be very desolate, says the Lord. Be, that's an incredible statement. Be astonished. In other words, this is a remarkable thing. And what is this remarkable thing that the heavens should be astonished about? Verse 13. For my people have committed two evils. Pause. God's not talking about the heathens. He's not talking about those who, who do not have a covenant with Him. He's talking about His people. My people have committed two evils. Number one, they have forsaken me. The fountain of living waters. And there we have that reference again. And they have hewn for themselves cisterns. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. Folks, what do these cisterns speak of? These cisterns speak of substitutes. God says that there is a, a cistern. It is Him. It is His life. It is His presence. The fountain. He says... They've forsaken me the fountain of living water. In other words, they've moved away from the, the, the source, the fountain of living water, and have created for themselves substitutes. Substitutes from which to draw meaning and purpose in life. What is the first thing we ask somebody when we meet them? What do you do? In other words, who are you? And, and they, the first thing they was, oh, I'm an engineer, I'm a this, I'm a that. And it's as though purpose and identity is derived from what we do, not from who we are. I'm not saying we should go around and saying, I am a child of God. People wouldn't understand. But the point that I'm making is that it's the departure point. It's the place in the way we think about things. Our purpose and our identity rest not in what we do, but in whose we are. It comes from drawing from that well till we are so full of it, so full of, 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 of the identity of Jesus Christ, the reality of that, that we cannot help but that have that spill out and spill over. And he talks here about the broken cisterns that can hold no water. The substitutes we make for ourselves, they do lead to a measure of satisfaction. That's why they're attractive. That's why we go to them. But the measure and the level of that satisfaction is fleeting. We are never, it's not that we are filled to a place where we can ever be truly satisfied. We keep needing more and more and more. Here's a good example. I remember somebody once saying, just, just a, a financial analogy. He said, just to draw a, a principle out, he said, are you, are you happy with your salary? I said, um, okay, yeah, let's just say yes. He says, are you, are you satisfied with your salary? I said, well, satisfied is another question. He says, good. If I had to double your salary, would you be happy with your salary? Yes, I'd be happy with my salary. Would you be satisfied? Well, if you could double it, surely we could quadruple it. Would you be satisfied with quadruple? If we could quadruple it, we could multiply it some more. Where is the point of satisfaction? It's, it's a shifting thing. It's a fleeting thing. Every one of us feels great when we get an increase. Woohoo! For a few months. Because then suddenly everything else rises up to meet that. And then that increase just doesn't mean so much anymore. It is a constantly shifting thing. Folks, that is not the life that God came to give us. <laughs> he came to give us a life of such complete and deep satisfaction that, it, oh, that the very satisfaction we feel overflows. We cannot help but speak of the blessing of God. Pour out the blessing of God because it is relentless. We really struggle today more than ever 
with this broken cistern syndrome. I'll give you a quick example. I don't want to go there and read the whole thing for the sake of time. But you all know Mark chapter 4, the parable of the sower. You can go read it in your own time. Jesus said this was the parable of parables. If you don't understand this parable, how will you understand any parable? He said to his disciples. But in the parable, we know that the sower goes out. He sows the seed. The seed lands on four different kinds of soil. Hard ground, which is on the path, and the birds come and just pluck it away. It falls into soil, and it's full of rocks. And so the, the seed begins to spring and bring life, but because it, there's no room for it to grow, there's such resistance, it eventually dies. And we, it speaks about the third kind of soil, which is so, soil that has thorns. And the word begins to grow... But the, the, the thorns and the thistles, thistles grow as well and they begin to choke that seed and it also dies. The final example we have is this good soil. And that word in that heart grows and bears 30, 60 and 100 fold harvest. Why is this important? You know, most of us don't struggle with the first kind of soil. We are, we are born again. We are saved. Many of us do struggle with strongholds in our hearts, strongholds in our thinking, where the Word of God wants to grow, but because of our hard-felt opinions or our offenses or hurts or whatever it is in our hearts that may be there, it resists the Word of God and it cannot grow and, 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 and work in that place of our heart. But I dare say that most of us struggle with the third, with the third kind of soil. Jesus said, The Word goes into the heart. And what did he compare the thorns to and the thistles and the weeds? He said, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things. Broken cisterns, the cares of this world. Folks, if we don't rightly prioritize and we, we, we live our lives according to the cares of this world and the things that need to be done and all these other important things, what ends up happening is that the cares of this world become our Lord. We serve our own upkeep. We serve the cares of this world instead of serving God. He comes second. God's saying that'll never do. We need to put God first. First place. Because then the cares of this world, even our desires, will begin to transform and line up with His. Jesus said, Jesus said delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. It doesn't say He will give you the desires of the heart and, and, and a delight in Him. No. When we make Him our delight, all the desires of our hearts are fulfilled in Him. He gives us desires. And He fulfills them because they come from Him. Folks, the last, as I said, the last few weeks I've been continuing on this theme. I want to ask you a question. It's a rhetorical question. And I ask it not from a, from, uh, from a point of view of, 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 of deep self-evaluation. Has this been setting into your heart? Has this really been changing the way you see yourself? Not just here on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night, but when you're out there in the workplace. Have you begun to realize the greatness of God that is with you and in you? The desire of God to share His love through you? Have you been butting up against some strongholds and excuses? I know we all struggle with that. Have you been perhaps just too distracted with the cares of this world? Just so busy, Michael. I haven't had a chance to really pay attention to it. I haven't really taken the time to pray about it. I haven't because, you know, I've got this and it's school and it's work and it's family and it's dinner and it's chores and it's... Or is there a marked difference in your life? 
You know, Jesus said of this parable, He who has ears, let him hear. God is speaking prophetically to us concerning our role in the kingdom and within this ministry. His desire is to equip and empower you for works of ministry. We can help with the equipping. We can help with the training. But when it comes to the empowering, there's only one who can do that. And if we want to really begin experiencing that, if we want to live the life, the full life of Christ, the life that He came to give us, and the life that He promises and calls us into, we're going to need to press into God for that. We are going to need to decide, this is something I want. This is something worth pursuing. I don't want a substitute. I don't want to have to keep chasing after cisterns and try and fill them up and fill them up and fill them up. I don't want to have to go and fetch my water every day. No, I want the fountain. I want it there, ready all the time. My heart filled to overflowing. And this is what God is wanting to call you into. And it's a wonderful and a beautiful thing. Again, as I said before, this is not something I should have to sit here and try and coerce you into. Because I know that deep in our hearts, this is something every one of us want. The question is, what are we going to do about it? Are we prepared to take the steps of faith that are required? To believe God. Now, if this is something you really want and you struggle with that, make yourself accountable to somebody. You're in groups there. I want to tell you something. God spoke to my heart years ago. And he told me how pathetic I was. You know, years ago I was driving in the car with someone called Michael Weiss. And he said, we were talking about weight and we were talking about eating. And I made a statement. I said, you know, how pathetic is it that some people can't even control what they put into their mouth? And as I said that, I was snared by my own words. Because that was me. And I couldn't see it until I said it. And man, for the next 24 hours, those words just kept coming back and haunting me. And God began to show me something about myself that was terrible, was ugly, was hard to deal with. Michael, you're pathetic. What? You call yourself a man. You, 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 you can't even control what you put in your own mouth. How pathetic is it that we, that we cannot make sure that we get out of bed on time every day consistently to have a quiet time? That's just pathetic. And we make excuse after excuse after excuse. God began dealing with my heart. He showed me that excuses are nothing more than lies that I tell myself to make me feel better for not doing what I know I'm supposed to be doing. Ouch! And I began a journey of discovering God's grace like I'd never discovered it before. I started running. Me, of all people. Ask Peter how remarkable that is. I, had, I went on a diet. I mean, I lost 15 kgs in, 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 I think it was four months. Praise God, I'm still running today. Still struggle with what I put in my mouth. I have to confess. But I want to tell you something that God began to show me. In order for me to enter into a measure of experiencing His grace, I have got to deal with my pathetic. I made myself accountable to my wife. Men, if you want to humility, boy, make yourself accountable to your wife. I know we are already, but in, in, in terms of like your quiet time, and I'd wake up, my alarm would go off at 5 o'clock in the morning, 
And I'd say to my wife, listen baby, if my alarm goes off, make sure I get up please. And there'd be some mornings when I'd wake up and it'd be cold outside and I'm lying there and the alarm would go off and she'd say, Michael, did you get up now? I'd say, sweetheart, I'm just cold. I'm tired. It was a bit late last night. Just, I think I just want to sleep in. You know what she'd say to me? Morris, don't be pathetic. Get out of bed. Oh, that hurt. But it hurt because it was the truth. And I needed that truth to set me free from my patheticness. I remember another morning, I rolled over when the alarm went off. And she said, Michael, it's time to get out of bed. And I remember rolling over and putting my arm around her. She loves to cuddle. And she went, oh, that's nice. And I thought, yes, I'm going to get away with it this morning. And she said, hmm, okay, now I'm going to kick you out in 10, 9, 8, 7. Man, she didn't have to get to one. I was so upset. I just got out of bed. But there was a season in which I needed to be trained to put first things first. And here's the truth, people. Here's the truth. I didn't have it in me to do it. I didn't have the strength. And I needed to draw on the grace of God like I've never, ever learned how to do it before. That time was a season of tremendous growth, not just in physical things, but in my ability to draw on the grace of God that enables me to do that, which I can't do myself. But I also had to make myself accountable to people who were watching me saying, Michael, how many times did you run this week? My wife was watching me get up out of bed every morning. You know, after that season, I became the one who people used to SMS say, I'm up. And if they weren't up by a certain time in the morning, I was making sure they, was up. they were up. To help people to deal with themselves. And if you've got to make yourself accountable to somebody, do so. If you need help, get the help. But for goodness sake, believers, let us not stay in a pathetic state of apathy towards God and towards His call on our lives. Let us not stay lukewarm and indifferent concerning the things of God. Let us deal with our weaknesses. Let us do whatever it takes to see that we pursue that river of life, that the fullness of God can be realized in us and through us. This is exciting stuff. But we've got to wake up if we want to experience it. And we've got to do what it takes. It's worth pursuing, but it doesn't come cheap. Amen? And so wherever you are tonight, if this has touched you, do not leave the place where you are without asking somebody to pray for you. And if needs be, hold you accountable. And if needs be, get together with you once a week to pray with you. And if, you know, for example, the guys in South Africa, if you don't want to do that with your parents, contact me. I will help you. We will walk together. We will strengthen one another. We will graft with one another. So that we can realize the fullness that Jesus came to give us. So that we can be the light and the salt that the earth is crying out for. That we can experience His love and His victory for ourselves. And become genuine, true, empowered, spirit-filled to overflowing ambassadors for the kingdom of God. Wherever it is that He sends us. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry... Come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.